Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and inspired word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came down and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this book. Um, It is so different from the other prophets. Lord, we marvel when we read this book. We would ask, O Lord, as we think about your word and we think about the truths in this book, that you would help us. Lord, we'd ask that you would give us ears to hear. You know we are diverse. We pray that you would tell us just what you want us to hear. Lord, would you help us? We'd ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. The the conversion of Martin Luther is well known. I trust that most of you are aware of it. Before 
his conversion, Martin Luther had a crippling, crippling fear of God. He viewed Christ as a, a consuming judge who simply wanted to evaluate him in order to uh, cast affliction on him. And so when he finally came to understand the gospel, he said it was like the gates of heaven swung open to him. And after his conversion, Luther learned that he needed to make some important distinctions about fearing God. He learned that we need to make a distinction between what he referred to as servile fear and what he referred to as filial fear. Servile fear is a kind of fear that a prisoner in a torture chamber has for his tormentor. It's a dread-filled anxiety regarding someone harming you or punishing you. It's what Luther experienced in his unbelief. Luther learned that he needed to distinguish between that and what he called filial fear. This is the kind of fear that a child has for his loving father, a child who has tremendous respect and love for his father and wants to please him. He, he has fear of offending the one he loves, not because he's afraid of torture or that he's going to be punished, but because he's afraid of displeasing the one he loves. And as you look at this passage that we have here in Jonah, you see that it talks a lot about fear and being afraid. You can see that in particular by looking at verse 9, by looking at verse 10, verse 16. And as Jonah relates the story of his rebellion, he aims to leave his readers with that filial fear of the Lord as they witness both the solemnity of God's discipline and the depth of his grace. What does this passage say about fear? What does a filial fear of the Lord look like? We're going to begin answering those questions with our first heading. Fear of the Lord obeys. That's our first heading. Fear of the Lord obeys. The Lord told Jonah to go to Nineveh and to call them to faith and repentance. We talked about how unique this truly was. He's the first prophet that's being sent out to a nation uh, to preach. But this was too much for Jonah, so he decided to flee. He gathered his things and he made his way to the port city of Joppa, where he hired a ship and its crew to take him to Tarshish, the farthest city he could think of. And once Jonah was on board the ship, he felt a sense of relief. He could finally relax. He was about to start his new life. So once the ship set out to sea, he went below deck and he put away his things. And the scripture says that he fell fast asleep. But the Lord, in his mercy, went to rescue Jonah from his waywardness and rebellion. He stirred up a violent storm in order to sabotage Jonah's escape. 
it was a storm so violent that it threatened to break up the ship. The storm was so severe and perilous that the crew started throwing the cargo overboard, and when all hope was lost, they began calling out to their gods. They assumed that a storm of this magnitude must be bound up in somebody's misconduct or or maybe an unintentional offense to one of the gods. It's at this point that the captain rushed below deck and was infuriated to find Jonah sleeping. Jonah woke up to an angry helmsman yelling at him as the ship rose and fell in the turbulent sea. And as he rubbed the sleep out of his eyes and he staggered above board to the top deck, he found himself met with a barrage of questions but he remained stubbornly silent. The sailors were desperate for answers, so they cast lots to reveal who was responsible for the storm. People cast lots to find answers. The casting of lots is the practice of using a stone that is painted two colors to determine answers to yes and no questions. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And the Lord honored the mariner's desire for revelation. He exposed Jonah as the reason behind the storm. In verse 7, our text says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? With the lot falling on Jonah, the sailors press him for confirmation. They want to know if he's to blame for their predicament. And more importantly, they want to identify the God who has been offended. That explains the questions that follow. You see, Jonah's occupation, his hometown, his country, and his ethnicity were all clues that would help them identify the offended deity with the hopes that once his name was known, They'd know how to appease him. And Jonah's reply shows that he understands what they're after. He wastes no time getting right to the point. Draw your attention to verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. You see, Jonah immediately names the Lord as the one who owns his allegiance the God of heaven, the creator of both the sea and land. Jonah says, I fear the Lord. And the irony here is supposed to be plain and purposeful. And that's because this is precisely what Jonah does not do. His disobedience is the very reason they're on a ship that's about to break up and sink. 
There's a blatant discrepancy between Jonah's profession and his actions, what he claims to believe and what he does. He's in the midst of defying the Lord. For the mariners, Jonah's uh, his uh, description, it, it confirmed uh, their suspicion. But things were about to get much worse than they imagined. Uh, these pagan sailors were taken aback by the significance of Jonah's disobedience. Verse 10 continues, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah didn't simply confess that the Lord was his God. He explained to them why he was fleeing and that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. That phrase, that phrase, the presence of the Lord, is vernacular. It's vernacular that describes the office of a prophet. Prophets were summoned to stand in the courts of the Lord and await orders. When Elijah threatens King Ahab with a drought, he begins by saying, he begins his oracle by saying, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. You see, prophets stand in the presence of the Lord. Jonah told the ship's crew that he was a prophet of the Lord and that he had renounced his office. Perhaps he told them about the command that he was given and that he had fled. The mariners were terrified. They were astonished that anyone who claims to know the creator, God, would have the audacity to defy him. And Jonah was one of his prophets. They asked, what have you done? Their question reflects a genuine, a genuine fear of the Lord, which Jonah has forgotten. His claim to fear the Lord was mere lip service. As you examine your own heart, as you examine your walk, does it reflect a healthy fear of the Lord? How serious do you take his commands? Are you walking in obedience? Or do you find yourself like Jonah, indifferent, apathetic, rebellious, paying lip service to your faith? The mariners found themselves with a dread-filled anxiety that they were going to be swallowed up in God's judgment. So they did their utmost to resolve the crisis. And we see that the fear of the Lord strives. That's our second heading. The fear of the Lord strives. Don't forget the scene. The sky must have been completely black with clouds. 
the men are soaking wet as they stand on the deck. The wind was blowing so hard that these conversations were being done by shouting. It must have been hard to hear over the wind. Waves are rising around them like mountains. And the air is full of foam spraying so hard that it's hard for them to see. And yet the physical danger they faced failed or paled in comparison to their spiritual danger. If you're not in Christ, you may fear the Lord, and yet you do not fear him enough. The Bible tells you that you are facing a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. If you're not in Christ, you are God's adversary headed toward judgment, and you fully deserve it. That's why God offers Christ to you as your shelter. The mariners are desperate. They want to find peace with God, so they turn to Jonah for answers, the one who stood before the very presence of God. They figure, surely he'll know what we should do. Verse 11 says, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. There's something strange about that question, isn't there? They don't ask, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? No, they ask, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Their question reveals that they believe some punishment of Jonah is in order. And they even offer to serve as the agents of that punishment to secure the Lord's favor. They ask, what must we do with you? And you'll notice that the Lord isn't off in the distance. He's present. He continues to be intimately involved in this scene all throughout. Verse 11 says, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. You see, the storm was growing. When, when God is applying corrective discipline to your life, he has a way of motivating you. And he's doing so here with Jonah and the mariners. Well, as you look at verse 12, you'll see that Jonah responded to the mariners' question and that his... Um, answer is quite shocking. He, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Why does Jonah insist that the men hurl him into the sea? The verb the text translates as hurl or hurled is the same word in verse 4 and 5. Perhaps we're supposed to make a connection here. Jonah has become a useless vessel in his rebellion, a a, a useless prophet. He refuses to prophesy. Uh, Maybe he's driving home the message that like the cargo, 
He's no longer of any value. Or perhaps his suggestion is just another attempt to avoid, avoid his divine calling through his death. Either way, Jonah is prepared to be hurled into the sea. He says, I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And then he adds a promise, doesn't he? In verse 12, he suggests that once he's dead, the storm will quiet down because it has fulfilled its purpose. You see, Jonah believes that he has at this point come to his end. The sailors hear Jonah and they quickly conclude that they are unwilling to consider pitching him overboard and leaving him to drown. Perhaps they came to that merciful decision out of compassion because it's another human being. But I'm inclined to think it's because their fear of the Lord is maturing. Their fear is evolving and becoming inclined to greater and greater obedience as the moments tick by. Jonah has just got done telling the mariners that he is the Lord's prophet, that he stood before the God of all creation, that he received direct commands from him. And they're just going to toss him into the sea? Let him drown? Is that really what the Lord would have them do? What if they incur more wrath? You see, these sailors want to do what's right. They feared the Lord. The sailors decided that they were going to try to save Jonah's life. The men dug their oars into the sea and rowed toward shore with all their might. Verse 13 says, The men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. The crew's attempt to row back to shore was futile because the storm intensified in response to their efforts. Verse 14 says, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Once every effort has been exhausted, the sailors threw themselves upon the mercy of the Lord. They prayed to Jonah's God by the special covenant name given to Israel. They believed that he was a God who heard prayer and answered. Their prayer reveals that they understood that the Lord judges wrongdoing, that he can be appealed to for justice. It shows that the mariners don't want to displease God by casting an innocent man into the sea. And it demonstrates that the sailors understand they are at the Lord's mercy. The heart that fears the Lord strives to be pleasing to him. Psalm 112 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. 
Psalm 128 verse 1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walk in his ways. The mariners didn't want to get swallowed up in God's judgment. And they wanted to survive this storm. So they strove with all their might. They sought peace with the Lord. They grew in their willingness to submit to them, to him. And as the text continues, you see a shifting, a shifting of their heart toward God. You see the fear of the Lord responds. That's our third heading. The fear of the Lord responds. Once the crew finished praying, they turned to the somber task ahead of them. We're not told if any words were exchanged. We don't know if Jonah put up any resistance. Verse 15 simply says, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. They must have wondered what was going to happen next. And to their amazement, the storm quickly began to settle. The text says that the sea ceased from its raging. If this were a Hollywood movie, it would be at this point that the rain would uh, just stop and the clouds would start to part and then the music would fade up and the light beams would part through the clouds and they would illuminate the deck and the, and the crew would look at each other and they would start rejoicing. They'd embrace and hug and jump up and down, right? And they'd laugh. But that's not how our text records what happened. Maybe those things or something similar to that did happen, but our text focuses on the heart. Verse 16 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What the sailors had experienced was unforgettable. It was a -a once-in-a-lifetime divine encounter. God had sent the storm not only to awaken his wayward prophet, but also to provide the sailors with a display of his saving power. And they were in awe. They've made a life-changing discovery because they've come in contact with the living God. The text says that this experience caused the men to fear the Lord exceedingly. But the fear that the mariners feel here is qualitatively different from the fear that overwhelmed them when the storm began. The storm is no longer threatening them. The sea is no longer raging. The Lord's wrath no longer hangs over their heads. The sailors are gripped with a profound sense of the Lord's readiness to reveal himself and save. The fear that they're experiencing is like the fear of the Lord that the Christian experiences, but in in its adolescent form. 
It's that filial love that Martin Luther talked about. It's a different kind of fear. The fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. It's a new attitude of admiration and openness to God in response to his love and mercy. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer, if you're in Christ, his perfect love is casting out, is casting out your fear of judgment. The Bible says fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And the punishment we deserve fell on Jesus at the cross. We have received God's forgiveness with the empty hands of faith. We are loved by God. The gospel frees us from fear that God will condemn us. We fear the Lord in a new way. We fear that we might grieve the one who loves us, the one who we in turn love so dearly. This is a wholesome fear, a wholesome fear that's rooted in the gospel. Proverbs 15.33 says that it's a fear that generates teachable humility. Job 28.28 teaches that it's a fear that produces repentance, a turning away from evil. It translates into simple, practical obedience to God's word because we trust him. The student of the Bible knows that scripture holds Abraham up as an example of a man who walked in faith and who trusted the Lord. And perhaps the greatest demonstration of that is found in Genesis 22 when God commanded him to offer up his son Isaac as a burnt offering. The text says that when they arrived at the site where he was to do this, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Abraham might not have known how it was going to happen, but he was confident that he would return with Isaac. The author of Hebrews says Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Abraham's willingness to obey the Lord is shocking. We're told that Abraham tied his son to that altar and that he raised a knife over his son, but before he could plunge it into Isaac's chest, the angel of the Lord called out to him saying, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. The fear of the Lord results in an openness and an openness to do God's will because it comes from a heart that trusts the Lord. This is something that the mariners were learning. They were gripped by a profound sense of awe at the Lord's readiness to reveal himself 
and his, re- his responsiveness to their need. The fear of the Lord was no mere sentiment. They respond to God in worship. Verse 16 says that the sailors offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The mariners called upon the Lord in prayer and they gave him thanks and praise for his deliverance. The text says that they offered whatever sacrifice they could there and then. They seemed to understand something of their need for an offering for atonement of sin or perhaps a thank offering. The text says they made vows. Conceivably, they made a vow to return to Joppa and to make a pilgrimage to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem where they would be able to offer a proper sacrifice and worship. And that's what this passage is designed to inspire in you. Worship. As Jonah relates his story his personal story of rebellion, he aims to leave you with a sense of awe and wonder as you witness both the solemnity of God's discipline and the depth of his grace. God sent the storm to awaken his wayward prophet. Jonah's ordeal at the sea and in the belly of the fish are designed to bring the prophet back to his senses and to challenge his wrong-headed assumptions. Along the way, God uses his dealings with Jonah to transform the sailors. They begin with a servile fear of judgment and end with a filial fear of the Lord that responds in worship. As we examined this text, we considered what it means to fear the Lord. And we did that by comparing Jonah over against the sailors. Although Jonah claimed to fear the Lord, we noticed there was a blatant discrepancy between his profession and his actions. And we learned that someone who fears the Lord has a heart that desires to please him. And that this obedience springs forth out of gratitude for his love and mercy. As we looked at this text, we learned that a genuine fear of the Lord obeys, strives, and responds. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I, we would look forward to seeing Jonah in heaven one day, even maybe these mariners or some of the mariners, Lord, to find out what it was like this day to hear from their own lips the glory as you came to subdue your prophet and even in the midst rescue these sailors. Lord, your word is a marvel. And Lord, we see as we look at Jonah, a man who held an important office, one of your prophets, 
Even he can be in a backslidden state. Oh Lord, we desire to fear you, to have that filial fear. Lord, we want to adore you. We want to be afraid of being an offense to you, of failing you. Lord, we would ask that you would therefore fill our hearts with affection for you. Lord, would you help us to rejoice in the full freedom we have in Christ from any and all condemnation. Lord, that we would look on you and know when you see us, you smile. Lord, help us that we would be full of affection, that we would fear you, that we would adore you, that we would walk in your ways. We would ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.